have you turn to the book of John, because this jumped out at me too. Uh, chapter 10, verse 17. And uh, pardon me, verse 16. And this is where Jesus in talking to Israel about the fact that they were his sheep. And I don't think there's anybody, uh, well, other than maybe some covenant theologians who would disagree that this parable, the parable of the good shepherd, uh, and when he said, I am the door to the sheep, and he said, I am come that they might have life and they might have it abundantly. And he said, I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd that gave life to the sheep. We find in verse 16 that he makes a striking statement. Have you ever read it and wondered what it meant? I have many times. Verse 16 says this, and other sheep I have. Hmm. Was he saying that there are others who are Jews who are my, who I consider as my sheep and other sheep I have. And he says, which are not of this fold. I may conjecture that very possibly he was referring again to the Gentiles that he would bless through the blood of the new covenant. And he said, they are not of this fold, them also I must bring. It's like, <laughs> this is part of my plan. Mm -hmm. And I must carry it out. And he says, they shall hear my voice and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Now, if I take you to um, some of the, uh, some of the letters of the New Testament, you will read that. Those of us who belong to Christ, whether we be Jew or Gentile, uh, lose that identity uh, as Jews or Gentiles. Uh, in that, we are one in Christ. In other words, we are all his sheep. Of course, he does not, ethnic background is not to be considered for the, the term Jews is used in the rest of the New Testament. And also referring to Jews that believed and Jews that didn't. And uh, 
Gentiles that believed and Gentiles that didn't. And so I throw out to you the possibility that God had in his mind again two groups saved by the blood, given eternal life, sins forgiven, made new men according uh, both to the uh, terms of the Abrahamic covenant or the new covenant, and then those who are saved simply by the blood of the covenant. Finally, I would turn for you to chapter three of Second Corinthians. I think I mentioned this passage last week. I promise not to do the new covenant next week, but I probably referred to what to some may be a problematic passage in the New Testament regarding the new covenant. A new covenant is mentioned here, uh, in my opinion, according to my studies, it is referred to as a new covenant. and uh, the, new, the new covenant is also mentioned in the book of Hebrews, and that I will not get into tonight. Uh, Hebrews, as you well know, was written to the Jews, and the things I think he had to say to them uh, were things uh, that Jews would understand. But I want you to notice, starting with chapter 3 in 2 Corinthians, we find these words, starting with verse 1. Do we begin again to commend ourselves, or need we, as some others, epistles of condemnation to you, or letters of commendation from you? Now, the reason that's there is because 2 Corinthians uh, is the second time that Paul has written this problematic church in Macedonia that uh, had a number of troubles, one of them being that many of those who were in that church are involved around it, didn't like Paul. Uh, They thought he was rude in speech. They thought he wasn't very handsome. They thought he wasn't tall enough. Uh, And uh, for one reason or another, they rejected him. And so he says, well, 
do you want letters of commendation from other people? I remember when I went to one particular church to preach the gospel that they very much wanted letters of commendation from other people. And that's okay. But notice what is said in verse two, and I had never noticed it or personalized it. And that is this, you are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read of all men. Now, the purpose of the covenants are the, well, we'll just say the covenants was to be read. Um, and as I was told from the time I was a new believer, that many times people won't read the scripture, but they will read a Christian. In other words, if we have the Lord written on our hearts, that we can be known and read of all men. And I submit, is it just possible that since we don't have a particular covenant as such for the church, we are involved in the new covenant because we are associated with the blood of the covenant. And that is, is uh, an important point to make. Alice made the point that in Romans 11, uh, we are neither, uh, when we are called wild olive branches, we are not referred to as the natural branches of Israel. But we are grafted in and we partake According to that scripture, Romans 11, the root and the fatness that come from the life giver. Uh, and so I bring up those now four points to say that uh, it is not unheard of in the scripture that the uh, the people who are redeemed in eternity, some are not going to have Jewish heritage, and uh, many are going uh, to have only uh, the Gentile heritage. Uh, either one is great; all are eternally secure and all have uh, similar blessings in the gospel, but it is very clear this, this uh, makes the case that if you read over and over in the prophets that you will read that God has 
special blessing in the millennial kingdom only our, our principally I should say for the Jews. Uh, for example, you cannot read in my estimation the book of Ezekiel and read those many chapters that deal with Ezekiel's temple in the millennial kingdom in detail, given its dimensions, which are much larger than anything that has ever existed before. For example, even larger than Herod's temple, more glorious, uh, and you cannot read about that which goes on with the priesthood of Zadok and uh, with the commemorative sacrifices that take place and with the nation, which is Israel uh, and is ethnic Israel. The scripture tells us that they will be taken from across the face of the earth and put there in that country. And the, the geographical bounds of the country will be thus and so, which um, as it happens were the original geographical boundaries that God had set for them in the beginning, which they never realized. Uh, so many. Uh, we could go on uh, for the rest of the year on Thursday night studies and still not cover all the promises that God has made for Israel and that nation alone in its own nation. Uh, and in relationship to their salvation as a people in the earth. Um, I, I find the tenets of covenant theology to be absolutely, I'm sorry, uh, even though I know many of them were espousing a few still are, uh, by uh, well-meaning men. I don't see how one can read the scripture and not see that into eternity, there will be an Israel and there will be the Christian and they will be an earthly people with great blessing and we will be a heavenly people with great blessing do you know uh, where where it is for example in the scripture that says that the people of israel will be priests and kings before their god no not israel uh but uh Every Christian, he tells us very clearly in uh, 1 Peter, every Christian 
will be a living stone in God's heavenly temple and that we will be priests and kings um, and that we will rule. And if, if there is no Israel and there is no millennial kingdom, uh, as far as a special government of God, who on earth are we going to rule with Christ with a rod of iron? Uh, we will roll with him, thus saith the scripture. Uh, I could go on and on. Uh, so you certainly by now uh, uh, believe that your preacher uh, is a dispensationalist as such. In other words, I believe there's a there's an earthly people, Israel. There is a heavenly people, the church. By the way, in the scripture, Israel is called in more than one place. And you read the book of Hosea, that Israel is the wife of Jehovah. But you don't read that in the new. In the new, you read that the church is the bride of Christ. I mean, it goes on and on the reasons why we should understand that uh, God has chosen for his glory. And by the way, he made his covenant with Abraham 1,500 years before the cross and he will forever it was a unconditional covenant and he will keep it with that nation as a nation forever and ever and now i would like to read a few verses for you from uh that chapter six of second corinthians uh, starting with verse 6, because we will find there mention a new covenant. Uh, and this is what it says. By the way, there's only one verse in the whole chapter, which basically deals with the law from verse 7 onward. Uh, we will find only one mention of a new covenant. Now, I don't know if Paul uh, felt like I did, uh, which, who was mentioning the new covenant because we are partakers of the blood or for some other reason. But I'll tell you, what I think about this passage, uh, none of which, by the way, would change uh, your overall theology uh, one whit. But Paul said this. He's talking about God in verse five and in verse six, God who also 
hath made us sufficient as ministers for a new covenant. But then he says, not of the letter, but the spirit giveth life. Now, the spirit is involved in the new covenant. Uh, there, did somebody say something? Yeah, where are we? I thought we were in two Corinthians. I change, I change to Second Corinthians chapter three. I'm oh. sorry. I try not to do that, but I did. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Thank you. So in case you missed it, it was Second Corinthians chapter three, verse two, where I read the verse. You are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read of all men. That was 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 2. Now I'm going to verse 6, and I'm going to read the rest of chapter 3. Uh, for it has a lot to say regarding the covenant of law. So Paul said, God, who hath also made us sufficient as ministers of a new covenant, uh, in King James, he says, has made us able ministers of, the, of a new covenant, not of the letter. So whatever it is he's referring to, he is not talking about the words that make it up. He is talking about uh, the working of the spirit. For he says, for uh, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter killeth, but the spirit giveth life. And then he begins to talk about uh, the law, not about the new covenant. So he may be saying that the particulars of the new covenant in regard to Israel uh, has to do with the land and the fact that God will bless them has to do that they will be a special people in the earth, has to do with the fact that they will inherit the gates of their enemies, has to do with the fact that God will give them a new heart, has to do with the fact that they will not have to say to one another, no God, for they will all know him from the smallest of them to the great. Maybe those are the letters. And he says, I'm not going to talk to you about that. I, I want to talk to you people who are saved, possibly he is saved, uh, by the spirit of the new covenant, which comes to us through the blood of Jesus Christ. But the rest of the covenant 
that is outward and applies to Israel uh, is on his mind. Because he says, the letter killeth, but the spirit giveth life. Verse 7, but if the ministration of death, talking now about the law, calling it, rightly so, a ministration of death. And that's because there is... Uh, the Bible is clear that no one has ever even had one sin forgiven them by the law. And that going clear back, uh, for example, I was reading Habakkuk the other night, and Habakkuk said, the just shall live by faith. Well, when did Habakkuk live? About six, 650 years before Christ. Was Habakkuk a Jew under the law? Yes. Uh, but did he speak of the law as that which saves us? And the answer is no. Does that mean the law isn't good? Yes, the law is good. But also we should understand that no man ever kept it. And that if one makes an attempt to add the law to faith, uh, and you, you want to read this, open to Galatians chapter, chapter 1, and you will find Paul saying that, and he says it twice in that one chapter, if anybody preaches another gospel than the one I have given you, or if anybody preaches you a gospel that has more than or that adds to the fact that Jesus hung on a cross and that he died and that he was raised from the dead, for the forgiveness of our sins, if they say anything, one whit more than that, let them be accursed. Now, some Bibles say, let them be damned. Uh, but the point that he wanted to make is that if you destroy the gospel of Jesus Christ by adding something more to it than the work of Christ on that cross through his shed blood, his resurrection, his new life, and his impartation of the spirit to us. Remember, he said, uh, I... I go to my father that he may send to you the promise that he made to me. And that promise was the promise of the Holy Spirit. And that is why here Paul says the spirit gives life, but the letter kills. Take that to heart. If you know nothing else about the scripture remember the the law kills
but the spirit through faith and through belief uh, in the work of Jesus Christ, that valid faith which hangs on to nothing else, nothing more, nothing less, that faith is saving. And so he says, but the ministration of death written and engraven in stones was glorious so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of its pardon me, for the glory of its countenance, that glory which was done away. Now, what's it mean? Well, it's going to tell us what it means, but it means as, as Moses came down off the cross, remember, he received the law twice. The first time he broke the tables of law because Israel had turned to outright riot and sin and sensuality on the time uh, it took him to go up to the mountain and bring the law down. The second time he came down with the law and he was ready to give it to Israel. And the scripture tells us that it was so glorious. I have never told you that the law wasn't glorious. And Paul said if there had ever been a law that could have brought men to God, it would have been a law of Moses. But not so. Paul said that, not me. And so the law was perfect. Am I saying there was something deficient in the law? No, what is deficient is in us. And we could never pass even the simplest tests of the law. So the law was glorious. And when Moses brought it down, his face was shining. For verse 10 uh, tells us, for even that which was made glorious and had no glory in this respect by reason of the glory that excelleth or exceedeth. What's he talking about? He's talking about the glory of the cross. The law was glorious, but it fell far short of saving men from its sins. And the and it was it was wonderful. And it will never pass away. But it just so happens to be that Jesus Christ receives us on the basis of his sacrifice and his blood, not the law. What did the law do? The, the scripture is clear. The law was given to man so he would know what sin was. And so he said, uh, the law 
makes, this is a direct quote from, from Paul, the law makes sin exceedingly sinful. And so the purpose of the law is to show that there is sin, but we are not saved by that. We are saved by grace through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, lest any man should boast. Hey, Dad. Yes. I just have a comment to make. Um, when we were looking through this, as we were looking, and we've talked a lot about how Moses, when he came down off the mountain, you know, had a great glow about him that faded. I'm just about to deal with that. Okay, because verse 11, at the, the verse 11, it says that um, much more that which remains is in glory. That's the way my scripture reads it. Mine says, for if that which is done away was glorious. Now, the law, just, the law was not taken away or thrown away. The no, law no. still exists. You Absolutely. go to the, the book of Revelation, and when sinners are being judged, the books will be opened. And one is the book of life, and the second is the book of the law. So right. the law in judgment will serve to condemn those who have not trusted in Christ. So right. Hebrews was, said, go ahead. I, I think what I was thinking was that Moses lost that you know it faded away from his face i'm gonna say but that for us oh, okay i'm sorry then go ahead <laughs> oh you just uh you've you've got ahead of me okay and i'm glad you remembered that and so we read for even that which was made glorious as the law had no glory in this respect by reason of that uh, ministration of righteousness, pardon me, for reason of the glory that excelled, which is again the cross of Jesus Christ. For if that which is done away was glorious, how much more shall that which remaineth be glorious? Now you've got to go to the book of Hebrews and you will find that the law, even though it wasn't taken away, it passed away for the, for the saved people. Uh, and it was, as a matter of fact, it said that which is passing away. So the law kind of faded out. Uh, and it faded out immediately for those who believed in Christ. And so, uh, verse 12, seeing then that we have such hope, we 
use great plainness of speech. In other words, I'm telling you just the way it is and not as Moses. Now, this is Moses, as you said, coming down off the mountain with the, the law the second time. The law was shining. His face was shining because it was, it was a glorious thing. The tables of the law that he had in his hand. But it says, and not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. But what, what it's saying is Moses covered up his shining face because the shining was disappearing. And he didn't want the people to see. Uh, he, God wanted it to be unseen that one day, as far as salvation was concerned, the law would be abolished. All right. But, their minds, this is the people now. Uh, this is the people at the Mount of Foot si uh, Mount Sinai that were watching Moses come down. And it says their minds were blinded for until this day, and that means today and tomorrow, for the Jews as a whole, the whole race is in blindness. Now that blindness shall be taken away when Jesus returns. And for some, it is taken away for a few of the Jews and there are not many. I think 2%, 2% of the Jews that are in Israel today are Christians. See, there's a blindness. And their minds were blinded for until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament. And then he says this which veil is taken away in Christ. In Christ, we can understand why the law is not for us. And secondly, the veil of blindness be, must be taken off of the eyes of the Jews. And it will be. I, I referred you to the book of Zechariah. And you can read about uh, them beholding their Messiah as he comes down from heaven. And them weeping and crying because they suddenly realized that they had rejected their 
Messiah. That veil will be taken out of the way. It says that same veil, untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament. The Old Testament wouldn't do it for them. Although it should have. There was lots about Jesus Christ in the Old Testament, but they had a veil over their eyes. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their hearts. And God has a plan. And this is part of it. Nevertheless, when it, that means their heart, shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. And then he says, now the Lord is that spirit. He started out with spirit, now he's ending with spirit. Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the Lord is, there is liberty. That means we are free. We are free from the bondage of sin. We are free from the condemnation of sin because we are justified and counted as if we were just as righteous as Jesus Christ, for it is his righteousness that we receive when we believe. Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we, talking now about all of us, and all the people in Christ day, but we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even by the spirit of the Lord. There's one word, by the way, Fred, Good to see you. You were a little late. Uh, there's one word that comes to my mind. I'm sure there are many that could. But this one word, and it's regarding the change. It's regarding the change. Is power. We are talking now about a work that we cannot do for ourselves. No matter how hard we try to change, the only thing of which is the agent and person of change is the Holy Spirit. And so the word says to as many as have received him, to them, he gave what? Feeding to eat. Oh, pardon me. It's in uh, John chapter one. Uh, as, as many as have received him, 
that means Jesus. To them, he gave the power, power to become what we could never become, the children of God. My friends, consider again the goodness and the graciousness of our Lord Jesus, of our Father in heaven, of our Holy Spirit, that great three in one that works in the hearts of those who would believe, those who would look and depend totally on Christ for salvation, that the power of God will do in us that which cannot be done in any other way, no matter how good we are, no matter where we go to church, no matter if we belong to this group or that group. But if we believe to the saving of our souls, then God will do the rest through a work of his marvelous power. Let us pray together. Father, we thank you for the power <laughs> we used to sing that there's power in the blood. Yes, Lord. But there, there is simply power that comes because we believe in Jesus. Not believe in the church. Not believe in the law. Not believe in a pastor. Not believe in our parents. But we, one-on-one, -on -one, alone, believe wholly and entirely on Jesus Christ mm -hmm. and the power of God makes us new men. For if any man be in Christ, he is a new man. All things are away. Behold, all things become new. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. That is the gospel of Christ. You are heard tonight in discussion of the new covenant or in discussion of the blessed covenant. You have heard all that there is necessary to be saved. There's nothing else. And you can know that you are saved. For the scripture says, these things are written that you may know that you are saved. Where's our hope and our knowing? In the person. 
Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for preaching and, and talking to us tonight through your spirit. We love you, Lord. And if you call us home before we're together again, may you hold us up in eternity and say, look what I have done. And receive the glory and the acclaim that is yours alone. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Any other questions? Jill, did that answer your questions? Did that answer? It did. It did. No. I, I think I was I think it was exciting to look at the word that or to come to see that that glory, we've been put into that glory. I've been put into Christ. I've been yes, you've been put into Christ. Yes. And you and will you will spend your eternity in a place we call glory. Yes. Glory and to God. I just, when he says it takes you from glory to, to glory, glory. You know, there's no end of glory. That's right. And it, so he's taken me, and I had to think about the word glory. So I understood from honor to honor, splendor. Yes. yes. You know. Yes. God bless you. So it's just exciting. Yes, it is. I've been doing it for 50 years. It's still maybe even is more exciting than original. It moves my heart. For it is the desire of my heart. And it is my desire for eternity alone. And that which I find a free gift mm -hmm. in Jesus Christ. God bless you all. <laughs>